Apple presents events at the Apple Store. Please welcome this evening's guest moderator, writer for Grantland, author of The Squared Circle, Life, Death, and Professional Wrestling, also available on iBooks, and co-host of the Cheap Heat podcast, David Shoemaker. Thank you. Well done. Um, right. I'm uh, mostly known as a wrestling guy when I write for Grantland, which is, uh, this is really great for me because I'm um, used to being in rooms full of nerds. Uh, but, th- but th- no, this is totally cool because this is... Um, uh, I'm as big of a comic book fan as everybody here. I'm, uh, when they asked me to do this, I kind of freaked out for a while um, and uh, just nervously met Jim and Scott backstage. And um, Well, I'm glad you guys weren't there to see that. Uh, anyway, we're here because it's Batman's 75th anniversary. Um, we're here because um, Volume 5 uh, just came out. Uh, Issue 35 just came out today. We, I don't want to spoil too much, but I'm guessing most of you guys have read it, and wow, it's really, really good. Um, but yeah, so we're here for Batman. Um, and I think it's really, I mean, I think it's in a bigger sense, we're all kind of only here because of Batman. I mean, we all have comic books that we love, but I mean, there are comic book TV shows and cartoons and major motion pictures and t-shirts and action figures and this thing called Comic-Con that you've probably heard of. And really, I, I feel comfortable in saying that none of that stuff would happen, would have happened at all without Batman. Um, and of course, Batman itself uh, wouldn't have been anything without the creators. Um, I actually made a list of creators to mention and then it got like three pages long and I felt really bad. So I'm just not gonna mention anybody except to say there's a million of them that are worth mentioning. Thankfully, two of those million are here tonight and uh, I'm really, really excited to have, uh, to invite to the stage um, Scott Snyder, who is uh, the writer of Batman, who many people have called the best Batman writer in decades, um, although he can't tell you that himself. Um, Scott, do you wanna come on up? Yeah. And, uh, and of course, Jim Lee, the living legend, um, artist of such wonderful bat books as uh, Batman Hush and co-publisher of DC Comics. Um, Jim, uh, give him a round of applause. Uh, thank you guys so much for, uh, for being here. I think I can speak for all the comic book fans when I, when I say that. I know you guys are fans as much as you are. I mean, we all think of you as creators, but you're big fans. So uh, just start off, uh, what was the Batman book or TV show or movie that was most influential to you as a fan? Scott, you can go first. Um, well, thanks so much for coming, you guys. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Um, I think for me, when I was a little kid, I would come home and rush to the TV to watch the Batman 66 TV show but I had no idea that it was actually campy. <laughs> I thought it was like high drama, you know, the whole time. Um, but then as I got older, I mean, Batman is a character who really matured with me, and the first comic book that really just transformed my world was Dark Knight Returns in 1986. That, that was sort of the first instance um, for me as a, as a reader and also as a kind of somebody who knew he wanted to go into storytelling. The first book that was so transformative in the fact that Batman looked like he was walking the streets that were an extension of New York, even though it was a futuristic book, 
the problems you knew as a child even were here. Like, you're not allowed to go to Times Square. You can't go to Central Park. The mutants, all of that stuff that's kind of metaphorical or, or, or you know, transformed into kind of a sci-fi version of the real elements, those things made Batman immediate and and realistic to me. And, and, and the Cold War aspects, all of it made him relevant. And, and I had never seen anything like that. And also just the psychological depth of that book just blew my mind. I mean, I, I was way too young to read it. I still, I remember my dad kind of looking over my shoulder, you know, when you see the, some of the characters and all that stuff. But I still have my original four issues at my parents' house. So that, that was really the one for me that was sort of the big touchstone. That's great. What about you, Jim? Yeah, um, I'm going to be really boring, and I have the exact same answers, actually. Um, but I was a lot older when I read The Dark Knight Returns, and I completely got it. Um, but, uh, but I was also much older when I watched the Batman TV show, and I still thought it was high drama. So that just goes to show you where my emotional uh, depth is at. But, uh, and I just remember the TV show. I just realized recently that uh, Cesar Romero, he, he's wearing a mustache underneath the makeup, and I could never understand why it creeped me out so much as a kid. But now I finally get it. But uh, no, I was just really into all that stuff. Uh, you know, comic books was, uh, you know, we moved to the United States when I was a little kid. I didn't speak any English. And so I really learned to read from comic books. Uh, but being able to watch a TV show was a lot easier than reading, per se. Uh, so the TV show was huge. Dark Knight Returns was huge. Um, but I think just the origin of Batman was something that really got, got me into comics because he was just a guy that studied hard, worked out a lot. It felt like, hey, I could do that. You could do that. We could all be Batman. And I remember there's like in the origin story, there's like a, sh a shot of the periodic table behind him. And that got me interested in what that was and chemistry. And when I redrew the uh, origin of Batman and Batman Hush, I made sure to kind of drop that in there. And then he was like lifting. And so it was just like a kind of cool inspirational thing that got me not just in comics, but just, you know, trying to learn about things beyond, you know, uh, what they were teaching you in grade school, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think both of you got to a, what I think is one of the most important points about Batman, which is that he is not just timeless, but he, but he ages with us in a way. You know, like he like he's you can totally appreciate uh, individual books as a kid, as an adult. Um, the TV show is a great example. But what do you think it is about the Batman character that makes him so relatable, both to uh, to kids and 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 adults? Well, I think it's his humanity. I mean, he he. He's a guy who suffers as a child probably the worst trauma a kid can suffer. This random act of violence takes his parents, and instead of sort of buckling under that, he uses it as fuel to transform himself into this pinnacle of human achievement. He basically goes out there and says, if I can do this and make sure this doesn't happen to anybody else, what happened to me as a child, you can go out and sort of overcome any fears that you have about yourself. And I think ultimately all the other stuff, the wealth and the gadgets, that's fun and it's sexy and it's really fun to write. You know, like the new Batmobile this. But at its core, I think that's, that's what makes him so enduringly inspirational and, and appealing is that he's just one of us and he says to anybody that you know, engages with him or uh, as a reader, you can do what you think you can't do. And that lesson is just timeless, you know? I, that's, that's, it's what, what, what makes him endlessly interesting also as a writer, I think, you know, that you feel it as you're writing, he's sort of always saying, throw me any challenge because I'll overcome it the way, you know, you guys can as well when, when you feel like there's no way out of a, of a bad situation. Yeah. Jim? Yeah, I also think there's a bit of wish fulfillment in uh, Batman. I remember reading what, The Dark Knight Returns. It was like the first time I'd seen a hero 
holding, you know, a thug over the, <laughs> the edge of a building about to drop him to get him to kind of confess. And I was like, that's pure wish fulfillment. I remember when that book came out, it was the 80s and Bernard Getz and just this whole, you know, feeling of helplessness, I think, amongst people living in cities. Like, how do we combat urban crime? And here was this mythical figure coming out from the shadows, kind of solving all our problems, even though he was this vigilante. And then, you know, Frank even addressed that within the story, using Superman as the ultimate sort of uh, lapdog for the government. So um, I think there's a, that, that he works on a couple of thematic levels. He is this very noble hero born of tragic circumstances, but he's also a character that really has no, com, you know, compunctions or he, he, he has no reservation about throwing a, a, a villain through you know, the, a window of a building or through the, you know, whatever. So uh, he, he is that definitely out there on the edge, which I think makes him a very compelling character in that he's not this Boy Scout that's out there fighting crime. He's very much, he's maybe one or two thoughts away from actually kind of being, you know, a bad guy, you know. Uh, so in a way, he's, he's very much uh, not just the flip side of a coin, but very much almost on the same side on the rim, looking over the abyss at all this, uh, you know, all this evil and crime. So I think in that level, he's just very, very unique and interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, both as guys who grew up as Batman fans, um, what, what, how did you feel or what was your reaction the first time you, you found out you were going to be writing or, or, or drawing Batman? Jim, you go first. Jeez. Uh, um, what was the first? Uh, you know, it was all done in secret, so I, 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 I'm trying to think. Uh, it was a long time ago, too. I, I worked on Batman... Hush, that was in 2003, I think, or something like that. But um, at the time, actually st still today, there's a lot of doubt whether I can make a monthly schedule or not. So I said, uh, wasn't that funny? Uh, <laughs> anyway, and I said, like, well, look, it, we're going to like blow away the critics. We'll, uh, we'll just work on this in secret. If I can't maintain some semblance of a schedule, we'll just put it out later or do it as a graphic novel. But if, you know, let's just do this in secret so that if I fail, no one will know about it. Uh, and so we just, it was just like the three of us, I think Mark Chiarello was an art director, uh, and Mike Carlin, who was the editor at the time, and, we ba and Jeff Loeb, who was the writer, and we basically worked on it for about six or seven months until we realized, hey, I'm working at a pretty steady enough pace, we can actually do this as part of the regular ongoing book. So um, I just remember sort of being, it was just kind of a cool experience working on something in secret. And this is before social media and everything, so I, I, I doubt you could pull that off again today, but... Uh, it was very much, I felt like I was a secret agent, very much a part of the Batman mythology while I was working on that book, so um, probably a different story for you. <laughs> yeah, my experience was just abject terror. <laughs> when I learned I was writing Batman, I remember telling my wife, like, I should just call in sick forever. So I was terrified. Um, luckily, it was Dick Grayson when I first wrote, uh, my, the first time I ever wrote Batman, um, Dick Grayson was was under the cowl as Batman because Bruce was sort of lost in time in Grant's story. So Dick Grayson is a character who's so sort of bewildered by being Batman that it was it was almost effortless where he's sort of like, I'm in the Batcave driving the Batmobile, you know, and that was exactly how I felt. <laughs> so it was very, it was it was more seamless than I thought, but then writing Bruce, it's, it's very intimidating. It always is. It still is. I mean, even, you know, 30 or 40 issues in, for us, you still get chills when you write like panel one, the Batcave. You know, you just you feel the history of that, and the the legacy of that. And the only way to do it is to sort of pretend you're doing fan fiction, <laughs> and like nobody's ever going to read it, and ignore all of you people, <laughs> and just pretend it's just for you and your mother, and that's about it. Um, so yeah, it, it never doesn't get intimidating, but you sort of after a while, 
one of the things you realize, I think that, that that's interesting, for me at least, is that you realize that your version of Bruce is personal. It's like a creator-owned character. And the versions that you've loved are very individuated and particular to those creators. And when you meet them, like at San Diego meeting Frank Miller or Grant Morrison and talking to them about their Batman, he's true to core, all of them. They're, they're the same Bruce and yet they're intensely different. And they can all coexist, you know, and you see that and it's, it's just, a, he's a character, you realize how adaptable he is, how incredibly, how incredibly sort of enduring he is because he has this core message but how anyone can kind of take it and make it their own and still be true to him, you know, in that way. Yeah, that's, that's really intriguing. Um, and I like what you said about, you know, pretending that no one's paying attention to what you're writing. That said, uh, you both have uh, done pretty significant things for the Batman uh, legacy. Jim, you redesigned him, right, for New 52. Scott, you just finished Zero Year, which is, um, you know, a pretty intrinsic story for the, for the Batman origin. Um, and uh, so what is it like, you know, putting your stamp on a character with this kind of history and this sort of legend? That's funny because you don't hear any of the voices. I hear all the voices. Uh, like when I draw something, I just hear everyone tweeting away like, oh, you've got six fingers on him. He looks too tall. Like, you know, um, too many lines on the costume. And so uh, it's just kind of this running dialogue I have as I draw it. Um, but, you know, here's the thing. Everything... Nothing existed until someone created it. So if you have that sort of fearlessness towards the work, it, it comes much easily, more easily to you. And, uh, you know, especially when you have to come up with gadgets, I think sometimes if you get too much into the continuity, too much in the history and pull up too much reference, it prevents you from doing something that no one else has seen before. So you're just trying to find that balance between the two as you approach the mythology because it is so, you know, revered and, and so hallowed. Um, but at the same time, uh, it's only gotten better because people have fiercely kind of added to it, and I think that's the attitude you need to kind of make, leave your mark on it, is that you have to add something new to it. You just can't build off of it. You just can't continue to do what was there before. Yeah, that's the legacy of books like Hush and Dark Knight Returns, is that they were upsetting when you read them because they reinvented the character, the way he looked, the way he acted, the way he related it, like to Catwoman in, in that, or Superman in this, and it's terrifying. My son, who's seven the other day, it was like a few weeks ago, he was like asking me how many people read Batman and I said, and he was sort of like, that's, isn't that, that's like Yan Yankee Stadium or more. And I was like, yeah. And then I suddenly pictured myself on the mound of Yankee Stadium, like reading a comic, you know, everybody in the audience and being like, and they hated it and they were like booing and throwing stuff at you, you know? And so yeah, it, it gets, it gets really scary, but I think the challenge is you have to understand that you love the character because you find something personal to relate to in him. And if you can make your stories on that character intensely personal, so they're about what you love and fear about that character, it'll be original no matter how classic the characters are in it, no matter how familiar the plot is, because you're bringing an originality of spirit to it or an originality of, 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 of your own sort of fears and fantasies as a writer. So you try and do that, you know, where you try and do stories that are built out of the things that you are terrified of and that run through all of your writing or and, and you know that that's in the DNA of your love for that for Batman or any licensed character that you write yeah so you did you wake up today just realizing that everybody in this room and and hundreds of thousands of more were going to be picking up 35 and getting to the last page all at the same time <laughs> yeah I was I, I mean I, that's always the fear I always try and like go go to ground and hide <laughs> when the issue comes out but New York Comic Con is this weekend so that doesn't really work <laughs> at all um, 
yeah, I mean, you think it really has to be something where you put horse blinders on and you just think, uh, I made Batman up, and I and he exists only when I started writing him, and he'll finish when I stop writing him because he's your version. Otherwise, and you know him in that way, you can convince yourself you know him better than anybody else because it's your interpretation. Otherwise, it literally stops you in your tracks. And, and I have tremendous moments of anxiety writing him and and fear and and terror, you know, because you're you you suddenly get a glimpse outside of outside of that tunnel vision and you see Frank Miller or Jeff Loeb or you know, uh, Alan Moore, and all of a sudden you're terrified. And, you know, you have to sort of keep laser focused and be like, this is my version and that's it. Yeah. Well, you're doing a pretty good job, I think. Oh, um, thanks. <laughs> J- for- stay, stay terrified. <laughs> Jim, is there, is there an artist kind of sort of equivalent of that? Like, do you feel, um, I mean, obviously you put your stamp on the design, but do you, I mean, to what degree do you put, your, put a stamp on... I don't know if it's his movements, his characterization. What, 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 how was how Batman really yours when you're working on Hush, say? Gosh, uh, well, not so much Hush, but on All-Star Batman and Robin, which I did with Frank, you know, he wrote the script, and obviously, you know, he's a consummate storyteller, so as soon as I would reach each panel, I could visualize immediately the way he would draw it, and so I had kind of resist the temptation to do that. Um, just having studied a lot of his work, it kind of just came very easily. But you realize, hey... Um, they're not asking you to do Frank Miller light or Frank Miller with lots of extra lines. Uh, they want you to draw something that's uniquely yours. So I, I would have that initial reaction. Then I would say, well, uh, I should do something different. And, and so, um, so in that sense, that was kind of a unique process. Normally when you read the, the script, it's the first, the images come very quickly. And a lot of times I kind of act myself in the role. I don't know if you do that too. You kind of role play and, you know, uh, which is always odd if someone walks in on you in appropriate times. Um, but uh, yeah, so you're, I'm making sound effects. I really kind of immerse myself into it as I draw it. Um, but in terms of, I just want to make sure I don't replicate a shot that someone else has done. I want to be inspired by the things that inspired me when I was a kid or growing up. Um, but uh, so you want to reach that same level of inspiration through the art, but do it in a way that doesn't look like you're just mimicking or, or copying someone else's shots or you know, style. So I don't know if that answered your question. Or no, that did. So, that's, okay. re- that's, that's really cool. <laughs> I was like halfway through. I'm like, wait. Anyway. Um, so uh, this will be the last question, I think. But uh, to me, I mean, Batman is obviously, is very obviously like a very serious character. Um, and, and both of you... Um, but, but funny at the same time. But yeah, too. no, yeah, no, that's, yeah. it's, it's, it's true. Um, both of you uh, in, in different ways strike me as like creators who take the form very, very seriously. I mean, like comic books as, as, as an art form and not necessarily, I mean, compared to some of your contemporaries, there's less, you know, sort of deconstruction and, and digression and, and, and um, you know, like I deeply appreciate that. And to me, I, it, Batman is sort of perfect for that because he is so, sort of so steadfast over the years in a lot of ways. Um, you know, from creator to creator, but is there something about Batman that makes him uh, more ser- like appropriate for that sort of seriousness of the art form? I, I don't know if I have the answer for that, other than I think he's uh, a fair, like for a, a non-powered character, he's fairly bulletproof in that a lot of people can do very different takes on the character um, and it still works, you know, um, and you know, so you look at a character like what Frank did in All-Star Batman and Rama, where he's the goddamn Batman, and he added that kind of element to the mythology and really kind of took him to a different place altogether. And you compare that with, um, you know, previous works. You go, or even uh, the Joker book that Brian Azzarella did, a very kind of darker take on, on the world of Batman, but it all still works. And I think, uh, 
it's a strength, a testament to the power of the character, the mythology that at its core is just very timeless. But at the same time, it's a lot of fun as creators to go on and realize, hey, you can do, you don't have to slavishly follow what existed before. And uh, I think that's the challenge and the fun of it. Yeah, I th he, he exists at a really interesting intersection, I think, of like heroism and pathology, <laughs> you know, all at once, where he's out there sacrificing himself and punishing himself in certain ways that you know are self-destructive, where the story isn't going to end well. It's not going to end with him married with kids and well-adjusted. But um, at the same time, what he does, he makes himself a target for all of the terrible things that we don't want to face so that we're brave enough to face them in our own lives in some ways. The challenges that, that sort of are, are, are derivatives of that, the bigger sort of villains and fears that he stands up to, I think, in Gotham. And in that way, I think he's endlessly interesting because he exists right at that intersection where some you could say he's an outlaw, he's a bad guy, he breaks the law, and, and his friends can say, it's going to end badly, Bruce. You know, you're going to go down in flames. You're never going to have a family. You're going to be old and alone in Batman Beyond. You're going to be dead. Or on the other side, you could say he's the greatest hero of all time, and he's, he's you know, emblazoned on all the shields of Gotham, and that's, that's great. And so he, he's right in the middle, you know, and in that way, I feel like he's, there's this kind of incredibly rich element to his character where he's human, and that's, that's what, you know, I mean, he's not perfect. He's not... He's not, he doesn't exist on one side of the light or the dark, he's right in the middle, and you can push him one way or another, or kind of examine him from either side, and it lends itself endlessly, I think, to great storytelling, because we explore, as corny as it sounds, I think, what we think of as heroism or, you know, self-destructive bad behavior, of you know of human nature through Batman, if that makes sense. Do you know what I mean? He's exactly what we want him to be, and the greatest hero, but he also is someone who's in a in, in terribly dark in another way and self self sacrificing and punishing. Yeah. Well, um, I think we're going to go to you guys for some questions now. Hi, this question's for Jim. Um, at past cons, you've done sketches ahead of time and like hidden them throughout the cons. Are you going to do anything like that for this con? And if you could, could you did just you check, check underneath your seat? <laughs> I'm not lucky today. It's yeah. mean. <laughs> uh, no, I, I only did that for Comic-Con. It was a lot of work. I needed a lot of... I, I did a bunch of sketches in advance and then hid them throughout the Comic-Con and I'd drop them into people's bags while they're walking along the streets and <laughs> tape them underneath tables at the cafe and leave them by the side of the road. Uh, and uh, so it was a lot of work. I needed like, a bunch of my family to help me out my assistant, and here I'm here just with Scott, and he didn't want to help me out, so I, I didn't, uh, haven't done anything like that, but maybe, maybe next year. Hi, this message, uh, this question is for Scott. Um, love your work. I just have one, uh, you just mentioned something about how Batman is like in the middle in between the good and the evil. So my question is, um, do you ever, like when you're writing Batman, do you ever think that he's kind of punishing himself? In a way, because he couldn't stop what was going on with his parents, um, like what happened with his parents, and then like, is he punishing himself again because he can't really save the city that he loves so much? And that's yeah, what I want to know. Yeah, I, I think if you take, if you asked him, he would say no. He would say, I'm preventing that from happening to anyone else, and he's successful at that because he's eternally in his prime in a lot of ways. But if you take a 30,000-foot view of it, 
he's punishing himself because ultimately, as a human being, he'll never be able to save Gotham and stop that from happening to somebody at some point. So even though in the stories and in the comics he's able to do it, there's sort of a, I think, an unspoken vein of tragedy in it where you know eventually he'll be too old or he'll, he, he'll miss one day. And the great thing about the comics is, you know, he always makes it. But when you look at him that way, I think from a larger, from a sort of, you know, telescopic view, there's something wonderfully tragic about that, too. That he's doing it and not admitting that one day it won't, it won't work. But, you know, to add to that, there's one other weird element, not weird, there's another cool mythical element to Batman, which I think it's alluded to in Dark Knight Returns, is which, you know, when he goes into the shower and he realizes he shaved off his mustache, right? It's almost like he's a vessel for the Bat Force or something, and he really has no choice to be Batman, right? That it's almost, it's acting through him. And, and it was really cool because Frank also set it up where the Joker, he's in Arkham Asylum, and all of a sudden he's just kind of out there, and then all of a sudden something clicks because Batman has re- re-emerged, and you see the Joker's kind of presence re-emerge through that character. And so it's just very kind of cool that they're this these forces of anarchy and, and, and order that are out there and they just kind of act through these people and, and make them doubly more tragic because they really have no choice in the matter. Hi, uh, this question is for Scott again. Uh, Zero Year was awesome, great payoff at the end, it was amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, is there anything you could reveal to us what's in store for Batman and the New 52 as of stuff that's coming up next year? Anything you could reveal? Uh, no, <laughs> I don't, don't want to give it away. But I mean, I can tell you that, uh, you know, the way Greg and I work on the book, we're, we love being on the book, and as long as you guys will keep us in Gotham, we'll rent a place there and stay. We love it, <laughs> even though it rains and it's terrible all the time. Um, so we have big plans. You know, this story that we're doing now in game is very transformative, I think, for the mythology and the status quo of Batman and of Bruce and his allies. And then we have a story planned after that that takes you forward, I think, in a way that will be unexpected. So we're really excited about it, you know, in that way. And again, I, we're so, honestly, the fact that we're at issue, I'm writing issue 38, 39 at this point is amazing to me. So thank you for being so supportive of us, me and Greg and Danny and FCO on the book. Um, this question's for Mr. Lee. How is the experience of working on Batman with Hush different from Superman with For Tomorrow? Or Superman Unchained. Um, <laughs> I had to plug at least once. Uh, yeah, no, uh, you know, it was really different. Um, they were back-to-back projects, and I think people were ex- expecting Superman For Tomorrow to be kind of a continuation of the same tonality that was in Batman Hush, which was very much a straightforward, almost a comic book look at the Batman mythology where you, we pull out all the greatest hits of all the, the greatest villains in the rogues gallery and kind of test the character through that. And Brian Azrell is a very different writer than Jeff and he wanted to do uh, really a more, not a polemic, but a, a study of how Superman kind of fits into the world today. And I think we were just in the you know, Iraq war and um, uh, actually I was living in Italy at the time was a very communist area of the country, and there's all these demonstrations against the American involvement over there. So it was very much uh, uh, influenced by what was going or what was happening in, in, in political scene at the time. And he wanted to just do something more nuanced that kind of really studied Superman's role. If he existed, what would his role be in, in, in the world today? And it was less about 
the superheroics than Batman Hush was. And so I think it was it was not uh, it was jarringly different for a lot of fans. But at the end of the day, I was just rereading kind of both the other day, just and had to do some reference for Superman Unchained. And I was just kind of going through it, and just it's just a different kind of thing. I'm equally proud of them, and they're two different kinds of writers. But at the end of the day, they were both really challenging in different ways, and I'm glad you enjoyed both. So I you. love I love that book for how daring it is in that regard. I really do. Hi, um, I was just wondering if you can discuss your journey to becoming a writer or an artist. And I know, Mr. Lee, you had plans on going to medical school, which is what I'm kind of currently headed towards. But I just wanted to know like, how you immersed yourself into the comic book industry. Either of you can answer. Well, I was born in 19... <laughs> no, I mean, I'm, um, <laughs> that's a hard one, our journey. <laughs> um, my, I always wanted to do it, you know, since I was a kid. I wanted to be a comic book artist. And then I... Um, when I was a teenager, I realized that I might not be good enough, and I fell into the writing more. And then I didn't know how to go about becoming a comic book writer, so I went into doing prose when I was in college. And, uh, and then I was writing a couple. I got invited to do a story for an anthology that was a superhero anthology where prose writers made up new superheroes. And most of it was really silly. It was sort of like one story was about like a support group for superheroes that have terrible powers. And it was sort of like one guy, like he just never went to the bathroom and he was sort of like, where does it all go? You know, and that was it. <laughs> My, mine was serious though. And there were a couple comic book editors, one from DC and one from Marvel actually at the reading for the book. And they came up after and they said, are any of you guys comic fans? And I had a, comics in my bag and I was like, I'm a big comic fan. They asked if I, each asked if I wanted to pitch. And I did, and relentlessly, and I started to get work at each one. And the funniest thing was I didn't realize they were dating. And um, I would complain, I'd be like, my editor at Marvel, she never gets back to me. And then she'd get back to me like 30 seconds later and I'd be like, wait, you know, I, I, that's a coincidence. <laughs> like, I, I have none of Batman's detective skills like, at all. Um, but that was, my, that, that was my entry into comics. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I went to college, I got a degree in psychology. My father was a doctor. They wanted me to be a doctor. Um, I didn't want to be a doctor. I, 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 I mean, I thought it was a worthwhile profession, a great profession. Uh, I thought I could be a pretty decent doctor too, I think. Um, but I, I it always looked at it as a job and something I would have to study for. And I just, I just reached a point in my life where I was like, I want to just do what I love. And part of it was admitting to myself that I loved comics enough that I could do it as a profession. Because I think a lot of times people have their hopes and dreams of things they want to do, but they always kind of give them an out. You know, you give yourself an out like, oh, you know, I'm not tall enough or I'm not, you know, uh, you have to be in the right place at the right time. And, and yet you have to come to that point where you go like, if you want this badly enough, you will make it happen. And I just kind of reached that epiphany and I basically decided after I graduated that I would give myself a year to get into comics. And this is before the internet and Google. And so I just went on this mass binge of trying to find everything I could about the publishing business. And I went to comic book shops, found fanzines with interviews about comic book professionals, how they got in the business. I tried to find uh, physical mailing addresses for companies. And I basically really pursued it as much as I would pursue getting into medical school and spent a good several months pulling that information together. And then I just basically put a drawing table next to my bed at my parents' home which they love, by the way. They love me coming back after college. And I basically would roll out of bed and just start drawing as if I had the job already. 
And, and that way I could convince, well, I could see if I could actually do this. Can I draw eight or nine hours a day and what's that like? And it was actually very, very difficult and painful, physically painful to do. Um, but that was the process. And then I started mailing in things, uh, submissions to editors, and I started getting some feedback, even though rejection notices. They're, they're on, I, po I posted them online. People seem to find inspiration from them. I think they're pretty, they're pretty funny because they just slammed me so badly. Um, but again, it, it was great to even get negative feedback and that just kept me going. So I was really kind of obsessed by it. And it's hard to say how long I would have kept that up. But I think once I made that decision, uh, that was the hardest part, making that decision and just kind of going all in. But really, looking back on it, that's precisely the time to do it because you have no wife, no kids, no mortgage. That's a time when you can really just experiment and do whatever you want with your life. And you can always kind of fall back on you know, a career in medicine, whatever, you know, later. And, uh, and, I, and I always had that in my back pocket. But then after a year of working in comics, I, I contacted my university and told them to, because I had to pay a fee to keep all my MCAT scores and all my recommendations and all that on file. And I just told them, like, I'm just going to do this other thing. And this was even before things took off in the, the comic side. I just realized this is, I found what I truly loved. It never felt like work to me. And um, uh, so I've not really looked back since then. The moral is drop out and move back with your parents. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> I would love to see you suddenly become a doctor now. With I all could your do stuff. it, man. That'd I could awesome. do it. You can. I'll do it too. <laughs> I'm from I'm from a family of doctors who were disappointed. That's right. Your wife is a doctor. Yeah, I married I married like the son that my dad never had. Sure. <laughs> yes. Um, with your with your writing, you have the ability to recreate and to broaden fan, uh, Batman's fan base. What are some things that you guys have introduced that you really felt good about um, that may have changed the perspective of those who don't necessarily like Batman or aren't fans of Batman? That's a good question. That's a great question. Um, for us, I guess, the lesson has always been, I think my favorite Batman writers have tried to make the character both very immediate in terms of the the time period that they were writing in and also um, personal. So with something like Zero Year for us, it was about doing an origin that would involve terrorism and super storms and random violence and blackouts and all the kinds of fears that we have pandemics and stuff that we have now. But the creations, that, so I'm proud of that, making him immediate, but we introduced some characters um, into the mythology, this girl Harper, Row um, in Batman, who's basically sort of a, a girl who has a, a terrible dad and her mom has passed away and she takes care of her brother and she's just struggling in Gotham. And she, her brother, um, Cullen, uh, who's a character I really love and have plans for also, uh, and this other character, Duke, who is in Zero Year, who's African-American and, you know, and, and trying to make trying to make characters that, growing up in New York, because I grew up in New York City, I mean, one of the things that was just part of growing up here is the public space and the diversity of the place, and you just have friends naturally that are from very different backgrounds, and coming to terms with that difference is just something you grow up with. So I'm very proud of, of the way we've been able to sort of diversify some of the characters that we're, we're bringing in and have plans for currently in Batman right now, Harper, Cullen, and, and Duke. Yeah, I have a more oblique answer in that, um, you know, it's more about the character of Batman, uh, just to kind of give him, mm, not nuance, but uh, to explore the facets of him that sometimes are ignored. Uh, I always thought he's the world's greatest crime fighter, 
but he's also the world's greatest detective. And that was an element that kind of played a big role in, in Hush. And we wanted to spend time with that, how he kind of pulled evidence together, the logical leaps he would make uh, in that kind of whodunit storyline. So I think it's just to reinforce the idea that he's not just a thug or vigilante to put on a mask, and, and that's what make, makes him great. But the fact that he is the best at what he can be, and he's aspired to that, and that he's also a great mind behind the mask. Um, I don't know if there was anything redeeming out of All-Star Batman and Robin uh, that uh, added to the <laughs> mythology, other than, uh, you know, um, he really, you know, we really played up like all the cool gadgets that he has, and I think that's just something that, again, you know, when you're competing with all these other characters that could time travel or fly, or, you know, melt people with their eyes, I, you know, Batman doesn't have any of that, and he really keeps pace by um, the, the toys that he has, and so I think it's incumbent on the artist to really keep reimagining and updating the world of Batman so that his, his tech does not look corny, even though it's called the Batcopter or the Batmobile or, you know, all these kind of corny names, but you've got to draw it in a way that looks really kind of kick ass, and that's what makes the, the mythology compelling and makes the, the idea that this could exist um, exciting and, and, and very relevant. Uh, I guess this question is for uh, Mr. Scott Snyder. Um, so in one, of the, one of the issues of Zero Year, we see Bruce Wayne discussing gadgets with, um, with Lucius Fox. Uh, was it your idea to throw in the Batman Beyond Batsuit? Because it was pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, that was my idea. But the, the <laughs> one of the fun things about it, that book is that Greg and I just throw things back and forth all the time. So in issue five, the turn that we did, that was his idea. And, you know, it's, it's really fun collaborating with Jim on Superman. Like, one of the great things about working on a comic like Batman or Superman or any of it is that it's coming from prose. You don't realize how isolated almost all other forms of writing are. You come to comics and you're constantly working on a living organic thing with somebody you really admire or like, you know, and, and, and trust. And you make something together that, that the ideas just become completely intertwined. That's my way of saying I've stolen all the ideas from Greg. <laughs> and just, they're both of ours. <laughs> no, no, it's, thank you. That was a fun issue. I love Batman Beyond, so. The sum is greater than the, the total of the parts, right? I mean, that's the fun in collaborating, is that you get something that neither of us necessarily envision outright 100% fully realized from the start. It's that back and forth. And, and when you're finished, you kind of flip through and go like, this is like, I, that's the charge I get out of yeah, it. Me too. Yeah, 100%. Scott, you mentioned how um, you kind of close your eyes and you draw Bruce in the way that you envisioned him. So he's your Bruce. and. Everyone's opinion matters, but not really. Uh, this question is for Jim. When you draw, especially heroines and Batman, and you imagine your Batman and what you idolize for, like what's attractive for a woman, do you look at different? What do you look at? What's popular right now and what's attractive in culture or certain celebrities, or does it always remain the same for you? I. I use myself as reference most of the time. So I don't know if that's appealing or now you might look at the comics a little differently. But I do, yeah. So yeah, because I usually draw very late at night, so it's hard to get, my wife doesn't like it when I wake her up to pose for me in the middle of the night for reference. But I've had my kids you know, pose like in Batman Hush, there's young Bruce with his friend and, and they're holding hands or playing games and so I'll, I'll pose people. Um, 
Gosh, you know what? I, I, if anything, maybe fashion and hairstyles is not necessarily from celebrities, but celebrities are covered in magazines, so that's typically the influence. But you do want to have it be somewhat contemporary and, and not, I remember when I was a kid, my pet peeve was like, oh, these characters in the 80s, they're still wearing like bell-bottom jeans and stuff, right? And you could see the artist had really kind of stopped looking at pop culture around him, or culture around him, and kind of frozen in that time and place. And so um, it's something that I want to keep up to date on. I know I get knocked for like collars and this and that, but I true try to like really add other things that are going on, you know. Um, but the, uh, the high-waisted jeans have got to go. I'm not sure what's going on with that. I will not go there. People are going, what are you talking about? I don't know. So, um, but yeah, so yeah, very much influenced by people around me, what I see in, the, in magazines, and I do try to keep it consistent. And, and that's what keeps the characters young. I was just drawing Lois Lane, and to me, Lois Lane, like, there's a very traditional way of drawing her, but I wanted to do something that reflected what a modern career woman would look like today. And hopefully, I, I, I hopefully I hit the mark. But she it's, looks great. Yeah, thanks, thanks. Sorry. Jim drew my wife into the book. By the that's way, right, too. that's right. It was that's awesome. Right. She's a she's a doctor, corner, yeah. and so she's like taking care of this patient, talking to Lois Lane. We have the page. It's right. awesome. <laughs> Does she get killed though? Yeah, yeah. It's unfortunate. <laughs> it's always a tough one to explain to your wife. Hi, Jim Scott. Um, thank you for your work. It's excellent. Bow down to you guys. Um, my question is, you both can relate to Batman, but is there any other DC character that uh, either of you feel that you personally relate to, personality-wise, or anything like that? Just curious. Yeah, I mean, I love writing Clark. You know, he's huge fun, and I'd like to write Diana. I mean, all the, uh, there are a lot of characters that I feel have elements that I you feel a certain attraction to or a magnetism towards because you feel like there are parts of their personality that you, you relate to or you admire, you have trouble with, and they become really compelling in that regard. So for me, it, the whole trinity, those are characters I, 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 I'm, I love writing and I'd love to write more, you know, Diana. Uh, Matter Eater Lad uh, from Legion of Superheroes. Yeah, big shout out. Uh, <laughs> when I was a kid, right? Like, so that your parents want you to eat awful things, and so Matter Eater let his powers, he can eat anything, and so you go like, okay, if he can eat uranium, I can eat this uh, asparagus or whatever, and uh, so I always admire that character, and I just thought he was such a unique, uh, yeah, so, I, you know, I've eaten a lot of weird things since then, like uh, chicken hearts and uh, fried sheep brains, and yeah, so Matter Eater Lad, yeah, he's, uranium is better, by the way, than all those things that I just described. Dinner is canceled. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, hi, this question is for both of you. Ooh, um, is there a character in the Batverse that you love writing and drawing respectively who, which is totally out there, out of left field, that most people wouldn't expect? Uh, that's hard, because I, I really love writing. It sounds corny, but I love writing all of them. I mean, they all... I love writing the Joker. I mean, he's huge fun. <laughs> Because he's like the devil, you know, in some ways, where he looks at you and he kind of sees the thing that you're most afraid is true about yourself. And then he he sort of comes at you and says, of course that's true. Let me show you why that's true. You know, and he's like a kind of devil's tongue in your ear. So I really get into writing him. <laughs> I love writing him. He's, he's, he's one of my favorites. And out there, I guess, like in terms of the most out there character, I don't know. I mean, 
They're all. F- I like writing Killer Croc. I, li- I mean, all of them are really fun. They're all bizarre extensions of Bruce in the way that you see how they're all his fears manifest, and so they become very potent very quickly, even if they seem silly, like the Mad Hatter or whatever. Like Penguin, all the characters. Like Penguin feels like a commentary on Bruce being a rich boy in class, and the fact that he he'll never be a real crime fighter or a real man of the people or people's hero or folk hero because he's from that highborn you know background or joker is you know deep down you're crazy or two faces your the duality your life is unsustainable and so even the silliest ones in some way feel like they have this energy to them because they're these twisted reflections of bruce's worst bruce's worst fears and in that way they take on a kind of immediate fun and life and vibrant quality even like crazy quilt who actually I have like a crazy quilt scene coming up and you're like I know why he he's an extension of Bruce's thing it's fun <laughs> um have yeah, a more I, I, for me it's all com- it comes down to like what's easy to draw so what's easy to draw depends on what's hard to draw and what's hard to draw is the same thing over and over again right so the great thing about Batman and Robin is that Batman has a certain vocabulary of gestures and the way he stands the way he's shadowed and Robin is this, you know, ball of energy, and he has very different kind of. So you just it, it just adds variety to it. And then the Joker, on top of it, has a completely different flavor from those two. And then uh, you have characters like Clayface, where there's no structure whatsoever, so that's super fast to draw, hence fun. And then uh, characters like uh, Two Face, because one of the hardest things for me to draw actually is very symmetrical faces. So I, I rarely draw face characters like straight on because one eye will be a little higher than the other and it's maddening I have to like invert the page or turn upside down to really kind of adjust it and draw it over and over again the thing with Two-Face you just have to get one eye right the other one could be really messed up and it still looks great so Two-Face is awesome so uh, I, I should say that all the books and more that we've talked about tonight are available at uh, itunes.com slash batman And uh, thank you, too. This has been a dream for me. And thank all you guys for coming out.